This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We're going to do, I think, on today's show, a little catching up with some help from our friends, we hope. So we're going to see if we can't get some assistance for today's show as we again play some catch-up. As it turns out, our good pal Will Durst is on vacation for a few weeks, so we're going to have a a special section at the end of our, our first segment today, something perhaps new and different. And it is our hope to land a really good get for next week's show. That would be Jim Lear, whose excellent uh, news program is heard uh, every night on uh, PBS stations around the country. People still think of it as the McNeil-Lear Report, but Robin McNeil's been gone for years now, and Jim Lear's been at the helm. He is, in fact, coming to Sacramento to speak next week, and, and we're, uh, we're very optimistic we'll be able to uh, interview him for this program as a prelude to that event. And uh, coming to the Mondavi Center in May is legendary artist Patti Lupone, which we're also, we also have some high hopes we'll be able to land for this program. I uh, was lucky enough to see uh, Miss Lupone uh, joined by Mandy Patankin in Evita back when I was in medical school at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion in Los Angeles. And I think it was arguably the best uh, stage production I've ever seen. That woman has quite a set of pipes, and we would love to very much to interview her for this program, so our fingers are crossed. But anyway, let's begin today's show, as we like to do, with On This Date in History. Our date today is the 26th of March, and it was on March 26th in 1799, in the John Adams administration, that the United States and Tunis, also known as the Barbary States, famous for its uh, pirate raids, signed a treaty in which the U.S. agreed to buy protection against pirate attacks along the North African coast. I think there's an old saying, millions for defense and not one cent for tribute. Well, <laughs> politics being what it is, uh, the U.S. did take, uh, take the easy route back in 1799 and just simply paid the pirates to not raid U.S. ships. This, uh, this little commemorated event uh, was celebrated in the Marine uh, fighting song from when they talk about it from the halls of Montezuma to the shores of Tripoli. No, we can't verify that they sent the Marines in with bags of money to pay the pirates. On this date in 1859, the solar system briefly gained an extra planet when French amateur astronomer Les Carbeaux reported seeing an object inside the orbit of Venus. It was named Vulcan. Unfortunately for Star Trek fans and others, it turned out the object uh, was, in fact, a rogue asteroid. On this date, 30 years ago, March 26, 1979, at the White House, Egyptian President Anwar Sadat and Israeli Prime Minister Menachem Begin signed the Camp David Accords, ending three decades of hostilities between Egypt and Israel, which eventually led to the captured Sinai Peninsula being returned to Egypt. In the years since, the areas uh, along the Gulf of Aqaba have actually become kind of a resort uh, destination with some great diving. Finally, on March 26th in 1992, cosmonaut Sergei Krikalev returned to Earth after 313 days aboard the Mir space station and landed in a new country. While he was in space, the Soviet Union had ceased to exist. Back in the 
Our quote of the day comes from the late economist John Kenneth Galbraith, who once said, The only function of economic forecasting is to make astrology look respectable. Our quote of the day comes from John Wynne Tyson, who said, The wrong sort of people are always in power, because they would not be in power if they were not the wrong sort of people. Our memorable line slash joke of the week comes from the immortal W.C. Fields, who once said, you can fool some of the people some of the time, and that's enough to make a decent living. Our statistic of the day comes from last week's Parade Magazine, which, in response to the following question, does America's terror alert system make you feel safer? 79% of the American public said no. What I can't figure out is where they found 21% of the population to say yes. You know, let's go to the good, the bad, and the ugly, shall we? Put into the week magazine. It was a good week a couple week ba- couple weeks back for hens. After a British free-range chicken farmer urged consumers to buy medium eggs instead of the more popular large or very large. Said Tom Vesey, it can be painful to a hen to lay a larger egg. It would be kinder to eat smaller eggs. And now I don't have an answer, answer to Mr. McMillan's question of how is it they control the size. But I can tell you I frequently bought medium eggs in the past and they, they seem to be big enough for most purposes. And of course they're cheaper, so why not? It was, on the other hand, a bad week last week for blowing in the wind when it was reported that Bob Dylan's Malibu neighbors complained to city officials that odors from an outdoor toilet on his estate were making them ill. And it was a truly ugly week last week for the study of geography, at least in Brazil. It was revealed that a book distributed by the Education Ministry in Brazil inadvertently left off Ecuador. But actually, I think it gets even worse. The map also mixed up Paraguay and Uruguay. Paraguay, which is in fact landlocked, now has a coastline south of Brazil. Noted the Associated Press, uh, this map accomplished something that even Paraguay's military generals could not during their war of 1864 to 1870 against Brazil, Argentina, and Uruguay, which, in fact, left them landlocked. But apparently reporters from Globo, Brazil's largest television network, interviewed a sixth grader, João Gabriel Anchieta, while he was looking over the map. They asked him what would happen should he have to take a geography test based upon the map. I baffled João said he'd get a bad grade. Here's the part I find sad. Give that map to the average American and say, what's wrong with this picture? And I bet not one person in 20 would notice the missing Ecuador, and not one in 50 would know the difference between Uruguay and Paraguay. 
I think this, frankly, would explain the look on the face of a woman who put a microphone in front of me when I was walking along the uh, the Third Street Promenade in Santa Monica a few years back and said, Hello, I'd like to interview you for Uruguayan television. Have you ever heard of Uruguay? And when I looked at her and said, I just got back from Montevideo. Well, I, I just wish I had a picture of her expression, that's all. Speaking of Texas, as we were just a moment ago, there's an article from the letters section of New Scientist magazine, which I cannot resist commenting upon. Evidently, last month, on February 15th, a very bright fireball lit the skies over Texas. And when, when reporters questioned the Williamson County authorities, apparently the Sheriff's Department, a detective there commented, well, we're fairly certain that whatever happened happened. This caused a reader to note that, well, he conceded that uh, the detective was displaying a reluctance to jump to conclusions, which, which is commendable in an officer of the law. But he did note that his inclusion of the word fairly, as in we're fairly certain, does leave the possibility open that whatever happened, in fact, didn't happen. Anyway, after, after a lot of investigation, the authorities down in Texas determined that it was not a flying saucer and was, quote, probably a meteor, unquote. And here's one I'd invite you to respond uh, to, dear listener, if you know anything about this one. America, for the past, oh, 15 or 20 years or so, has become the laughingstock of the world over the fact that uh, our politicians have embraced creationism and have been reluctant to accept the scientific fact of evolution. But uh, for people up there north of the border in Canada, please explain to me this one. Apparently, Gary Goodyear, Canada's Minister for Science and Technology, was asked about his stance on evolution a couple weeks ago. He responded by saying, I'm not going to answer that question. I am a Christian, and I don't think anybody asking a question about my religion is appropriate. Well, he was asked about his stance on evolution. So, uh, <laughs> this guy's your minister for science and technology? Please, please, let us know what's going on up in the great white north, will you, dear Canadians? We talked briefly about the uh, the leftist win in the election in El Salvador uh, uh, last week. We needed to comment about the, uh, the right-wing triumph uh, in the Israeli election, but you know what? Not today. Let's pluck this item from the foreign file. According to Business Week magazine, the worst place in the world to work is Lagos, Nigeria. This was according to a survey by human resources firm ORC Worldwide. It looked at pay, working conditions, violence, health risks, and other factors. This reminds me of a time back in medical school when one of my fellow students was a Nigerian, and I'd read a report somewhere indicating that, uh, I believe at the time, that it said Lagos was the second worst city in the world to live in. When I informed him of this, he looked at me and said, only second? That kind of ringing endorsement, I think, gives credence to the report from Business Week. I want to comment briefly on the fact that uh, after President Obama appeared on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, the initial reports were fairly straightforward. But somewhere along the way, some spin got introduced. Initially in the Sacramento Bee on March 20th, the first reports were that uh, Obama was talking about uh, what would happen as regards California and the budget. But the next day, the focus had shifted to the fact that uh, Obama had made a joke that was not appreciated in some circles. He famously bowled a 39, I think it was, during the campaign, and Leno couldn't resist bringing up his bowling skills. 
president said that he'd, he'd gotten better, but had to admit his previous episode was reminiscent of the Special Olympics. This apparently drew howls of protest from the likes of Alaska Governor Sarah Palin. Governor Palin referred to the remark as degrading and said she was shocked to learn about Obama's comment on The Tonight Show. I can't help but think of Bill Maher's recent comment about uh, the, the breakup of daughter Bristol Palin and her boyfriend Levi. Said Maher, Bristol said she wants her baby raised free of ignorance and backwards and backwoods superstition. Adding, but you know, you can't stop mom from visiting. We're a little surprised to see, uh, see the, the shocked outrage of the Alaska governor over uh, this supposedly uh, uh, non-PC comment by the president. You'd think she'd be a little bit kinder about, uh, you know, the so-called verbal gaffes of others. Especially when it was revealed after the campaign that while they were trying to prep her for the debate with Joe Biden, uh, they found out that the governor thought that Africa was a country. On the flip side of gubernatorial comments, we have uh, the remarks by Maria Shriver, wife of California Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger, whose mother, Eunice Kennedy Shriver, in fact, founded the Special Olympics in 1968. California's First Lady said she was confident that the president did not intend to offend anyone. Adding, I know where his heart is. He loves Special Olympics, and he will do everything he can to help Special Olympics. And every one of us sometimes makes a mistake. Something comes out of your mouth and you say, oops, I wish I hadn't said that. I've had many of those. And for the record, so have I. Although I have been saved more than once by Mr. McMillan's skillful edits. Yay. Speaking of editing on the radio, uh, Newsweek magazine uh, reported that... Uh, Possibly the two best summaries of what's gone on in America's financial meltdown came on episodes of This American Life, the weekly public radio program that they described as producing two astoundingly lucid episodes, The Giant Pool of Money, which aired last May, and Bad Bank, which aired earlier this month. I have not heard either one, but uh, I've noted that uh, at its best, This American Life is just a stellar program. In fact, and I think no less than three occasions, we have uh, rebroadcast our personal favorite among the, uh, the This American Life uh, segments, and being the celebrated analysis of failure, wherein they examined the fiasco of a high school production of Peter Pan. If you've never heard that on our show, I'd say you should go to our archives and check it out. It's no doubt also available somewhere on, uh, on the uh, This American Life website. Anyway, our good pal Will Durst, America's foremost political comic, is uh, taking a mini vacation, so we're going to insert at this juncture a segment we did once a long time ago. Actually, we've done this more than once. We referred to the jackass of the week. Well, let's close this segment today with uh, a competition for who might be this week's award winner for our own Jackass of the Week. Here are the nominees. Former President George W. Bush who announced he was launching an international speaking tour. Bush hopes to give at least 10 speeches this year to make some money. Then there's MSNBC's Jim Cramer, who apparently was taken apart on The Daily Show. I've not yet viewed that, uh, <laughs> that clip. Apparently Jon Stewart took him to task originally for, uh, for pushing Bear Stearns six days before it collapsed. 
In his defense, Kramer pointed out that it wasn't six days before it collapsed. It was seven weeks. So anyway, that's Bush. That's Kramer. Candidate number three, Ruth Madoff, the wife of uh, Bernie, who's just been sent away for life for his $50 billion Ponzi scheme. According to uh, his wife, Ruth, who, by the way, was the bookkeeper for his colossal fraud, well, Ruth feels she should keep $70 million in assets, saying that that loot was completely unrelated to the scam. And finally, among our candidates for Jackass of the Week, we have former Bush spin doctor Ari Fleischer. In fact, this one I'm going to quote from Newsweek. Spin doctor Ari Fleischer is still, still, exclamation point, pushing the myth that Saddam Hussein was behind 9-11, saying on Hardball that war in Iraq was necessary to stop him from hitting us, quote, again, unquote. All right, George W. Bush, Jim Cramer, Ruth Madoff, or Ari Fleischer? The envelope, please. And my doing our best Karnak impression here. The winner is Ari Fleischer, Jackass of the Week. Yes, in spite of the intense competition of Kramer, Bush, Madoff, Ari Fleischer's assertion that we had to hit Saddam Hussein so that he wouldn't attack us again. Man, that, that may be tough to top the whole rest of the year. Let's take a short break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett.